we are taking a three-week break from our usual practice of studying through a book of the Bible to do a checkup and a check-in on the health of our homes. We're talking about some of the things that can create challenges in our homes. We're going to check in on how we're doing with them, and we're going to talk about the best way to approach those issues and challenges, which is God's way. Last week, we touched briefly on a couple of challenges we face in our marriages, and this week, we're going to check in on the subject of parenting. I think it's good to just acknowledge up front that that if you have kids, you probably feel a lot of the time like you're not doing as good of a job as you should be. Maybe it's just me, but Charlene had a relative who just posted something on Facebook the other day, and I related to it on a profound level. He wrote, the great dilemma of my life is knowing that there are only a very few short years that my kids will ask me to come jump on the trampoline and wanting to take advantage of those years, and also with all my heart, not wanting to jump on the trampoline, right? I just related to that on such a profound level because your day ends as a parent, you're tired and your kids are like, Daddy, will you come play with me? And there's nothing in you that really wants to get up and go do that. And so sometimes you go do that, and if you're honest, the reason isn't like, yes, because I just love you so much, it's like, no, because I'm going to feel so awful about myself as a human being. If I don't go do this, I'm gonna, I don't want to live with that regret. And, and years later, I, you know, I don't want to find out that my kid is at school you know, or at college and they're telling their friends, you know, my dad never really jumped with me on the trampoline when we were kids. I don't want that, so, so fine, I'll, I'll go do that. I'll go do it. So many wonderful parenting decisions for us to make all the time, right? And when you start having your own kids and they start getting older, if nothing else, it should make you appreciate your own parents more. Because I don't know about you, but, but what you quickly realize is that just like you, your parents were doing the best they could with what they had. That was one of the great realizations you can have about parenting. They were doing the best they could with what they had. Do you realize that, that when your parents had kids, they had never done that before? Just like you had never done that before either when you first had kids. It's a completely new experience for every set of parents. So knowing that we're not going to hit the mark all the time, knowing that we're going to fail a lot, what should we be aiming for as parents? What things should we put our focus on? We're going to talk about that this evening. And I want to say this too at the beginning. There is grace for all of us when we fail as parents. To err is human as the, the saying goes. But let me also say this, we do not have an excuse for being aimless in our parenting. God's word lays out for us the kind of children we should be raising. It gives us a goal and we might miss that goal by a mile a lot of the time, but there's no reason to be confused about what the goal is. Would you write this on your outlines? The goal, simply put, is to raise children who love God with their whole lives. That's the goal, to raise children who love God with their whole lives. And let me unpack this, because you might be thinking, well, what about this, what about this, what about this? If our children love Jesus with their whole lives, they will take on his characteristics and they will make their life decisions with him as their highest priority. The more our children love Jesus, the more they will love people. 
The more our children love Jesus, the more they will love their spouse. The more our children love Jesus, the more integrity and industry they will have in whatever career path they end up following. The more our children love Jesus, the more they will end up loving their children, the better parents they will be. There are all these things that we want for our children. We all want them to be fulfilled and satisfied in life. But we should all know as followers of Jesus that those things are only truly found in knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. That's why the goal is to raise children who love God with their whole lives. Conversely, on the flip side, Jesus said, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? I'd like to rephrase that to focus it on the task of parenting. For what will it profit your child if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? In eternity, you know what's not going to matter? This is going to upset somebody. Your child's grades, their sports medals and trophies, the college or university that they went to, How many letters their business card has after their name. How big of a house their career allows them to afford. And I'm not saying those things don't matter at all. I'm saying that as disciples of Jesus, we've been told by him not to spend our lives chasing after those things, but to spend our lives pursuing him and that he would take care of all those things. I'm saying that as disciples of Jesus, who desire to raise other disciples of Jesus, we cannot raise our kids with those type of things as the highest priority. Because we already have the inside information from God himself that those things aren't really gonna matter in eternity, in and of themselves. For what will it profit your child if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? The goal is to raise children who love God with their whole lives. That's our goal as parents. When we screw up, there's grace. But there's no reason for us to be aimless as parents. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first. Teach our kids to love God. And as they love God, they become more of who God made them to be. And if they're meant to be an incredible academic, they'll end up at a great school. That'll happen. If they have the capacity to be incredibly smart and do some great things in a specific field, they're gonna work hard because they're becoming like Jesus and they're gonna end up doing that. But what does it gain them if their whole life is focused on doing those things outside of God and they accomplish them and in eternity they mean nothing because they weren't done for the Lord. As I was preparing this message series, my goal was to try and hit Pretty much what I believe is the most pressing issue in each area of family life. So we did marriage last week, we're doing parenting today. I wanted to talk about the most common issue and when it comes to kids, I really believe that one of the most common challenges parents have, it's pretty self-evident, is the issue of the behavior of our kids. Behavioral issues. And we don't really talk about it a lot with other people generally because we're embarrassed or or we're ashamed or ashamed or because we feel like failures sometimes. We feel like we should know what to do with our kids and their behavioral problems, but we don't. 
And then even when we're around people who do seem to know how to do it, we don't want to ask for help because we don't want to feel stupid or embarrassed or like a failure. I know that you guys would never be so insecure about your parenting, but I'm speaking about the people who listen online, so, so you just have to put up with it for now. And if we're honest, sometimes we want our children's behavior to change just so that we'll look better as parents, or, or at least so that we won't look like bad parents, right? I think that's a human reaction, but, but I think we also all recognize it's not the best motivation for parenting in the world because it's ultimately selfish. I'm not actually concerned about what's best for my kid. I'm really concerned about how my kid is making me look to other people. So as we talk about the behavior of our children, we're talking about their behavior from the perspective of wanting to raise children who love God with their whole lives because that's what's best for them. We're not approaching this from the perspective of how can I get my kids to stop being a source of embarrassment and shame in public? I'm really interested in that. I know you are. Our goal is what's best for our kids though, not avoiding personal embarrassment. And if you'll focus on what we're gonna talk about today, I think you'll find that their behavior will improve in public as well, and they'll be more and more of a blessing to you. Really, yes, it's possible. So here's the, uh, the next thing you need to write down, and this is huge. Behaviors are driven by beliefs. Behaviors are driven by beliefs. What we're gonna be talking about regarding our children is also true for, for all of us, by the way. The things that we know mentally, intellectually, the things that we have come to understand, the sum total of our experiences, our desires, our subconscious, all these things come together in a place that for the purposes of today's message we're gonna call our hearts. So all these forces are at play inside our hearts and all these forces come together to form our beliefs. And out of our beliefs, we act. And here's something we need to understand. Next fill in real quick. Our behaviors generally reveal what we truly believe. Our behaviors generally reveal what we truly believe. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we actually believed everything that we said we believed? That would be great. But the reality is that the way we live our lives is a far more accurate tell of what we believe than what we simply say we believe. And here's what I mean. The way that you and I are eating right now, our diet, whatever it is, good, bad, too much, too little, for every single one of us is based on our beliefs. Now we might have the knowledge that I should eat healthy, I should eat less of this. I have the knowledge that ice cream is not an appropriate nightcap for an adult male every night of his life. I, I know that intellectually. But if I'm doing it, what it means that my actual belief is something different. My actual belief, whether I wanna recognize it or not, is that I can do that and it's not gonna catch up with me till much later and when it does, it'll be fixable at that time down the road. Because if I actually believed that it could cause me to have a heart attack in the near future, I wouldn't be doing it. So whatever we're doing, even though we might have intellectual knowledge to the contrary, when you put in all these factors, like our experience, me saying, well, I've never had a heart attack up till now, I, I, so I can only assume I'll never have one. When you put all these factors together, when you add in things like my desire to believe that it won't come back to bite me later on, I form a true belief and then I act upon that true belief. 
So I'll say it again, the things that we know, the things that we've come to understand, our experiences, our desires, and our subconscious, all these things come together in this place we'll call our heart and form our beliefs. And out of our beliefs, we act, we act. Your child, my child, our child's behaviors are driven by their beliefs. Would you write that down? The behavior of our children is being driven by their beliefs. Even your two-year-old, even your three-year-old, your 13-year-old, their behavior is being driven by their beliefs. When your three-year-old says, I want that toy, give it to me now, to another kid. Do you know why they say that? Because in their heart, at that moment, their sincere belief is that they are more important than the other child. And their desire for that toy is more important and superior to that child's desire and want for that toy. And so out of that sincere belief that they are the center of the universe, they act appropriately. And so what they're doing makes perfect rational sense in their mind because yes, I am the most important person in the world. And please know, again, all of our kids were like that too. And let's be honest, most of us as adults are still like that too far too much of the time, okay. But what a loving parent does is recognize that that behavior is wrong and seek a way to change it. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And what's usually the easiest way to change our child's behavior. If we follow the path of least resistance, which we often do, what's the easiest way? Well, we tell them off. We yell at them, stop being a jerk. Maybe we make them feel bad. You know what, that is a terrible thing to do. You're an awful human being and you need to think about your life choices because if you don't change this by the time you're four, you're on a horrible, no, no, you don't, you don't need to do that. It's just a three-year-old. Or we give them a consequence or we discipline them in some way. And I'm not saying that those are all a right approach. I'm saying that those tend to be the most common approach if you see parents disciplining their kids in a park or a place like that in public, or, or probably maybe you as well a whole lot of the time. And what that does in the heart of a child is it adds something to the experience and knowledge categories. They say, okay, if I misbehave, mommy or daddy will be angry at me or they'll give me a consequence, something bad will happen. Therefore, I need to be more careful not to do those types of things. And it might take a bunch of times, but if you're consistent, the child's behavior will eventually change. And it's at that point that many parents think, this is great, I'm winning, it's gonna be okay, problem solved. And they go through the next seven to 10 years until their kids become teenagers, and then they suddenly turn into monsters. Well, their kids go off to college and they just turn into party machines making terrible decisions and mom and dad are left at home holding their heads saying, what happened? How did they go from such a well-behaved kid to, to this? Well, when a kid becomes a teenager, they can stay out later. They can drive. They're smarter. Not as smart as they think, but smarter. They're in more tempting situations where mom and dad aren't around. And when they head off to college, a lot of the time they're living away from mom and dad for the first time, completely free from mom and dad's watchful eyes. And it's then that you realize that what happened was the child's behavior for all those years had been driven by their belief that mom or dad would assign consequences for certain behaviors. 
but also in their experience, also in the knowledge, also in the paradigm they were forming, was the reality that, okay, the only deterrent, therefore, is the presence of mom or dad. So when mom or dad are no longer present, the deterrent is no longer present. And so their beliefs change. They look in their belief system, they look in their heart and they say, okay, what do I know? What have I experienced? Well, mom and dad aren't here now. And then the dominant force becomes the desire that's in their heart because there's nothing telling them they shouldn't do it in the knowledge category, nothing telling them they shouldn't do it in the experience category. And so their desires become the driving force. So would you write this down? The problem is obvious, parental presence alone does not produce godly character and wisdom in a child. Parental presence alone does not produce godly character and wisdom in a child. They need a belief system that holds strong even when mom or dad are not around. So how do we give that to our kids? How do we give that to our kids? This is the whole point of today's message right here. It's your next fill in already. We aim at the heart. We aim at the heart. We parent the heart of a child not the behavior of a child. We parent the heart of a child, not the behavior of a child. And here's what I mean by that. Our goal with our children is not behavior modification. Our goal is heart transformation. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation. When we focus on simply modifying behavior, we are making the assumption that changed behavior will eventually work its way backwards into their heart and change their heart. That if we can get them to act like a loving, considerate person, they will become a loving, considerate person. But we all know that's not how it works, is it? We all know this. It never works that way in life. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches that our behaviors are driven by our beliefs. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus, said this. I put it on your outlines. He said, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The ISV says it like this. Above everything else, guard your heart, because from it, flow the springs of life. When Jesus gave his famous Sermon on the Mount, he taught the exact same thing, pointing out that even adultery begins with lust, where? In the heart. He pointed out that even murder begins with hate, where? In the heart. Jesus said, out of the heart, we behave, we act. Whatever we believe in our heart, whatever happens in our heart, works its way outward and drives our behaviors. Our beliefs drive our behaviors. But it doesn't work the other way around. What we do can never drive what we believe, ever. And when we parent with a focus on behavior modification, when we measure our parenting success by our children's behavior, we are parenting under the false assumption that good behavior will ultimately result in godly character and wisdom. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake because you can go through a decade or more of parenting your kids under that false assumption. And it's devastating to realize later that that's the way you were raising your kids. 
it will generally result in one of two outcomes. We've discussed the first. When mom or dad's presence is removed, so is their reason to behave a certain way. At that point, the desires in their heart take over. They find no reason not to follow their desires, and they begin to indulge those desires. But the second thing that can happen is equally tragic. If we parent with our focus on behavior modification, we can also raise the risk of raising a child who believes they're good because of their behavior. And can I tell you that's just as tragic? In other words, we risk raising a child who becomes a legalistic Pharisee, who believes they're good because of what they do. And like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the burden of trying to make yourself good through your behavior, tying up all of your worth and your value and your self-esteem in your performance, in your ability to be a good person, is a crippling and crushing weight that no one can sustain. No one can sustain. People who live that way usually end up making catastrophic and shocking decisions to fall into sin because they just get broken and crushed by the weight of trying to be good on their own. In Jesus' day, it was well known that many of the most supposedly holy Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, it was an open secret that many of them had mistresses and were skimming from the coffers in the synagogue and the temple. There's no freedom in legalism. It's an infinite loop of inevitable failure, shame, then going to sin as a coping mechanism, then temporarily repenting and then going back to failure again, just over and over and over and over again. When your focus as a parent is on changing the external rather than the internal in your children, you'll raise a kid who'll either go wild and crazy later in life and make bad decisions or you'll risk raising a legalistic Pharisee who thinks they're good because of what they do. So we parent the heart of a child, not the behavior of a child. Our goal is not behavioral modification, it's heart transformation. And so here's how we do that. Just two very, very simple things. And I'm keeping it very simple on purpose. Firstly, write this down. We teach them to love the Lord, to love the Lord. How do I do that, Jeff? You teach them how much the Lord loves them. Over and over and over again. You teach them that the Lord loves them not because of anything they do, but because of who they are to him. They're his son, they're his daughter. You teach them that he loves them no matter how far they run, no matter how many times they fail, no matter how bad they fail. He loves them, he loves them because they're his. They're not his because of anything they do. They're his because of what he has done for them and he did it because he loved them. You teach them that the Bible says he loved them before the earth was even made. He loved them while they were still sinning. He knew every wrong thing and decision and thought they would ever have and make in their life and he loved them. He loved them. You teach your kids that before we could ever love him, he loved us first. You teach them about how wonderful the Lord is. That he's faithful to us not because of anything we do. So the first way we aim at our kids is we teach them to love the Lord outside of any behavior or anything like that, just to love the Lord. We can't talk enough about the Lord in our homes. I've always loved God's instructions to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 11 concerning 
his instructions to them. It's on your outlines. He said, you shall teach them God's instructions. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Just be talking about the Lord. It doesn't always have to be let's sit down and have a lesson, but just be talking about him. Be sharing with your kids about what he's done for you. Even just that day about something neat that God did for you or a conversation he let you have with someone. Always talk about the Lord. Secondly, the second way is by teaching our children that because the Lord loves them, write this down, the Lord wants what is best for them. He wants what is best for them. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So God laid out in his word the best way to live. And he didn't say, here's a bunch of rules because uh, I generally govern from a no fun platform. That's not what God did at all. He said, here's how I've designed life to work, relationships to work, everything to work. So if you will live this way, you will experience the best version of all these things. The best version of marriage. The best version of work, the best version of friendship and life because he wants good things for us. As you begin to share with your kids from the word of God and and the way that God would have us live, make sure that your kids understand that we do this because God loves us and wants good things for us. And so all these things are for our benefit. They're for our benefit. It's the best way to live. If your kid hurts someone. They need to go up and make sure they're okay. Find out if there's anything they can do to help. Why? Because the Lord values people so much that he died for them. And he asked us to value people in the same way. Showing that we care when we hurt someone shows that we value them. And it helps heal the damage we've just done in that relationship. And Jesus asks us to do that. Why does he ask us to do that? Because the Lord knows that good relationships are one of the greatest blessings you can have in life. And if we don't understand and live in a way that lets the people we care about know that we value them and love them, we will lose those potentially great relationships in our life. And the Lord wants us to have great relationships. So we don't tell our kids, hey listen, you need to go apologize to them and ask for forgiveness. Why? Because God said so and he's always watching doesn't change their heart. You let them know, hey, because God forgave us. God cares about us, and so he asks us to care about other people because he wants us to have great relationships with other people. And even though it's hard, if, if you'll humble yourself and admit when you're wrong and let people know that you value their relationship and you care about them, you're gonna have incredible relationships in your life, which is what God wants for you. Or you can reject God's way and you're gonna miss out on a lot of great relationships. And as you do this over and over, over years in your kid's life, what you're ingraining into them is that God has a design for things that is good and results in good things. It's not that we want them to not sin or we want them to not do bad things. It's that we want good things for them. We want the best things for them because we love our kids. And so it's helping them understand, listen, if you sin, there's gonna be bad consequences just in life. And we don't want that for you, we want good things for you. And when a child understands that when you're around and when you're not, they're gonna begin to realize I want 
a good life. And so I want to make decisions that are going to result in a good life. It changes the way that they see things. God's way is the best way to live. I love a Psalm 103.2. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. When we just tell our kids because the Lord said so, because that's displeasing to the Lord, they're thinking, what's in it for me? What's the benefit? And God is gracious enough to understand that about us. That's why he doesn't say in his word, you don't need to know what the benefits are. Because that's selfish of you to even have that thought. God's not like that. He knows how we're motivated. So he says, do this because it's going to benefit you. It's going to give you the best version of life that you can have. Help your kids understand that. We aim at our children's hearts by teaching them to love the Lord and helping them understand the benefits of doing things God's way. We feed their hearts with knowledge of how much God loves them. And we feed their hearts with understanding of how God's ways are best for them. Write this down. When our child's behavior is off base, we should ask the question, what is the belief in their heart that led to that behavior? What is the belief in their heart that led to that behavior? That's a much better question than the one I usually want to ask, which is like, how could you be so stupid? It's a much more insightful question to ask, what's the belief behind the behavior? Because that wrong belief is the source of their behavior. And I know this is gonna be hard to remember. You're gonna wanna do what I just mentioned right there. But I wanna encourage you parents to actually thank God. Begin thanking the Lord when a wrong behavior in your child reveals a wrong belief. Because I believe that God is being gracious to us as parents by bringing it to our attention. Be thankful when the Lord reveals something that is amiss in the heart of your child because he's loving them enough to bring it out while you are in their lives in the role of a parent and can speak to it and help them with it. And I always think, man, I would so rather be dealing with this now as a parent when I can speak into their life in an extra powerful way than rather have this come out when they're 30 years old or 25 and the issue is so much deeper. So I want to encourage you in some of these moments, instead of feeling like, oh, I'm such a failure as a parent, I can't believe my kid would do that, have the approach of God, thank you for bringing this to my attention so that we can begin to work on this. Because the Lord still does that with us all the time, doesn't he? We find ourselves doing things and we suddenly go, whoa, whoa, how did I do that? How did I think that? And suddenly God's like, yeah, there's a belief in there we got to work on. So that's the process of sanctification. Be thankful when God illuminates something in the life of your child for you to work on. Praise God as well. You know, those are opportunities that, that seem to happen every freaking day, don't they? So <laughs> you're going to have a lot of opportunities to thank the Lord for bringing things to your attention. Now, trying to change our heart by changing our behavior is a strategy that simply doesn't work. And we know this because it's been tried before. If you know the Bible at all, you know that this has been tried before on a massive scale and the result was, was massive failure. In fact, the reason Jesus came to the earth was because we could not change our hearts by changing our behavior. We couldn't do it. If you're not tracking with me, when Adam and Eve rejected God in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world and it entered the hearts of humanity. 
We became corrupted with sin within ourselves, in our thinking, in how we saw the world, in how we saw each other. And because we were corrupted internally, our beliefs became corrupted. And as our beliefs became corrupted in our hearts, our behavior became corrupted. And that corruption separated us from God. But to this day, there are religions and belief systems that propose this idea. Well, what if we just do all the actions of an uncorrupted person? Won't that essentially make us the same as an uncorrupted person? You see, before we would cry out to God for help, we had to try and fix everything ourselves. This is the way we are, right, in life to this day. Before we cry out to God, I'll exhaust all of my other options first. So God said, go for it. Give it a go. See if you can fix it. And so he gave humanity his full list of laws, known in the Bible simply as the law. And it covered how everything in daily life should be done in order to meet God's standard of what he defines as good. Most famously, the law included the Ten Commandments. And so for century after century, the Old Testament of the Bible records man's attempts to change his heart by changing his behavior. And the pattern is always the same. While they can keep it up for a while, it it becomes a burden that they can't live up to because they're not acting in accordance with who they really are inside. And so they fall back into behaving in accordance with what's really in their hearts. And it's usually really, really ugly. You see, we didn't need more information. Everything that is wrong in us, everything that's wrong in the world is not that way because there's a lack of education. If that were true, when we began entering the information age we're in now, there would have been less war and less crime and greater charity among humanity because the issue is just education, right? Everyone who's killing each other all over the world, we just need to go build some more schools, that'll solve the problem. Well, we're living in an age with more information than there's ever been. And I don't know what your opinion is, but it doesn't seem like the heart of man is trending up, like we're getting better, more moral and kinder and more loving. That doesn't seem to be happening because the issue is not information, the issue is corrupted hearts. So Jesus came to the earth and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live in our place. And he could do that because he didn't have a heart that was corrupted by sin. Then he died in our place on the cross, paying the price of our sins with his blood, body, and life. Then he rose from the dead, giving us victory over death. And if we place our lives in his hands, we are given a new spirit, one that desires to do good things, things that are pleasing to the Lord and good for us. And so within our hearts, where all these influences are mixing together, there's now a voice, the voice of the Spirit of God, calling us to walk in His ways and experience life and wholeness and good things. And what we ourselves have to learn as followers of Jesus is the same thing that we have to teach our kids, which is how to tell the difference between the voice of the Spirit of God and the voice of things like our desires, our subconscious and all of our previous experiences that are warring within our heart for our attention and for power. Both we and our children need to have knowledge of God and his ways added to the heart by learning his word. 
Both we and our children need to have understanding that the Lord's ways work best in life. And that comes from beginning to notice a pattern in our lives. When I did things the Lord's way, things went better. There was life. When I did things my way, it didn't help anything. It didn't work out well. And both we and our children need to recognize these experiences that we've already had with God's faithfulness in our lives which results in us trusting him more. Trying to change the heart through behavior modification doesn't work. Change happens from the inside out. And our job as parents is to help our children recognize the voice of God's spirit in their hearts by filling them with the knowledge and understanding of God and his ways. Knowledge of what God's word says and understanding of how it affects their lives. One final note. One final connection that I want us to make as parents before we end this message. I wish I could talk in in detail about this, but we don't have time. I just want to make the big connection for you, and you can think about this more, and I hope you will. One of the other questions most parents have, but also don't really want to ask, because we feel a lot of the time like it will reveal we have no idea what we're doing, is the question, what is the right way to go about disciplining my kids? If I go too far in this direction, I end up abusing them. If I go too far in this direction, I'll end up with a bunch of hellions who think that they run the family. So what do I do? The way we discipline our children has to also be with the heart as the focus. Really hear me on this. The goal is not punishment. The goal is not punishment. The goal is not behavior modification. The correction we're trying to bring is in their heart. That means that you have to get to know your child's heart because they're not all the same. You might have two kids with completely different hearts. And so it might take different approaches, even in disciplining your children, in order to reach their hearts. I got six kids, I got a good variety. I've got some kids, you know, they were younger, smack them on the butt and they're just like, is that all you got? You know, just like stare at you and you're like, well this isn't gonna work. Uh, And then I have other kids who you just talk to them and you begin to say like, hey man, we, we gotta talk. That wasn't a good choice that you made. It's not gonna produce good things and there's like, I'm so sorry. Like immediate like emotional response. And so you can't just take a one-size-fits-all approach if you want to reach the heart of your kid. you got to figure out how to reach the heart of your kid because that is the goal. When a child does something wrong, most of the time they hurt somebody in some way, which means that they damage a relationship. And like we said, if you just tell them that was wrong, I'm giving you a punishment, you're not aiming at the heart. You're not aiming at the heart at all. When we help them figure out if there's something they need to do to repair the damage they've done. When we teach them and and lead them and and guide them to go apologize and ask for forgiveness, then, then we're aiming at the heart. Then we're aiming at the heart. And you know what? Most of the time, if you get the heart involved, it's enough. It'll make an impact on your child. Your kid goes to another child and they're, maybe profoundly sad in tears because they realize they've damaged their relationship or they're profoundly embarrassed because they realize they made a really foolish decision. 
most of the time you don't need to follow that up with like, okay, now we gotta figure out how else to punish you because, you know, gotta do that. Usually if you can actually reach the heart, that's enough. They get it because if you reach the heart, they understand the gravity of what they've done. Sometimes though, an old school eye for an eye approach is, is what's needed to reach the heart. Sometimes your child won't have empathy because they can't yet imagine what it's like to be the person that they've wronged. You know the situation I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you know, Billy, do you think you would like it if somebody took your favorite toy away from you? I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't care. It wouldn't bother me. Guess what you got to do in that situation to aim at little Billy's heart? Doesn't need another heart to heart. You got to take away his favorite toy so that you can reach his heart. And you can tell him, well, how does this make you feel right now? Not good, right? No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then you reach the heart. So it's not about always having a conversation. It's not about trying to make your kid cry. It's not about doing eye for an eye. It's about what is needed in each situation to reach the heart. And I just want to tell you, yes, it is exhausting. It is so exhausting. It is so much easier to say, Hey, for the rest of the day, how about you just not be stupid? How about that? That would be great. And I get it. And I feel you if you've done that. In fact, I know you've done that. It is so hard and it takes so much energy to engage with the heart of your child over and over and over again. But that's why we said right at the beginning, we have no excuse to be aimless in our parenting. We might miss the mark by a mile a lot of the time. We might fail all the time. But the solution is not to change what the goal is, right? The solution isn't to say, well, you know, this is really tiring, so maybe we just raise a kid and maybe they're just a jerk. You know, maybe, that, maybe, maybe we need to take the pressure off and just change what the target is and go for something more sustainable. Like, like, like if he ends up not being homeless, then we've done well. Let's just lower the bar. That's not the solution, we know that. It's good to have the right goal, you aim for it no matter how much you fail, and when you fail, there is grace. There is grace. Well, Jeff, that sounds like a great model of parenting, but, but, but how do I know what approach to take when? How do I know? Well, first, you're gonna get it wrong a whole lot of the time if you haven't figured that out yet. You're gonna learn a lot from getting it wrong a whole lot. But what we really need to do is we need to ask for the help of the one that Jesus called the counselor. Man, if there's one thing that I can share about parenting, done it for a while, still in the middle of it, man, do we need the help of the Lord. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for it moment by moment in those very difficult and frustrating moments of parenting because we don't know a lot of the time what's going on in the heart of our child. We don't know. We need the Lord to show us and bring it to our attention. We're not perfect parents, none of us. We've all got our own issues, and we all bring our own issues into our parenting. If you don't think you're doing that, then you got a serious issue. You don't think you got any issues. That's the issue. <laughs> it's a heavy thought when you realize that no matter how hard you try, you will end up doing some things that will emotionally scar your children for life. No matter who you are as a parent, you realize that? And you might say, Jeff, listen, I am gonna be the most loving, wonderful parent ever. I will never emotionally scar my children. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna set the bar up here. So whereas emotionally scarring normally happens like down here, you set the bar up here. It just means that if you dip down to here, guess what? Your children are emotionally scarred because normally you're up there and one day you were really tired, you came home from work and you dropped all the way down to here. 
you are only 98% a great dad or a great mom. Your kids are emotionally scarred. That's going to happen to everyone all the time. I know my parents love me to death. They're doing the best they can. There's still stuff in my childhood that totally traumatized me that is completely meaningless nonsense. But for whatever reason, it had a profound effect on me. A profound effect on me. And I know that no matter what I do, that, that's going to happen with my kids. Because my kids are being raised by parents with issues. And we were raised by parents with issues. Who were also raised by parents with issues. And our kids have issues. Wow, Jeff, way to end this on an encouraging note. Thanks, thanks for that. I wrote pages of notes. Going to be a terrible parent no matter what. Right, right? Here's the encouragement, though. Here's why I share that. The good news is that we do know the perfect parent. We do. We know the perfect parent. We have access to the perfect father, to our heavenly father. And we're being parented ourselves by him perfectly all the time. And he's rooting for us. Jesus is praying for us. He is praying for your kids. He's interceding for them. He's made his spirit available to us to guide and empower us. And when we fail, He's made his grace available to us too through his son Jesus. Your heavenly father loves you. He loves you and he cares about your heart. And he loves your kids and he cares about their heart. And he's going to do good no matter what. No matter what. So let's raise our kids that way. Aiming for the heart. Aiming for the heart. Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, we just thank you so much that you love our kids, Lord. As much as we love our kids, we recognize the reality that you love them infinitely more. You know everything about them. You know their life purpose. You know every gift that you put within them. You know every strength. You know every weakness. And Lord, it's incredible when we realize that you put children in our hands and give us the task of raising them. And Father, I pray first of all for, for every single one of us, as parents, as grandparents, as, as single people with parenting to come in the future. Lord, would we parent most of all from a place of having experienced your parenting in our lives? Would we be good moms and good dads because we've experienced the love of a perfect father. Would you help us to give our children grace because we've experienced grace? Would you help us to give them guidance and help because we've experienced guidance and help from you? And Father, I do just pray right now in the name of Jesus for any parent who is wrestling with any type of condemnation or shame or guilt or feeling of inadequacy, Lord, we just stand on your word that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in us. And we have access to every good thing through you. We have access to your wisdom by just asking you for it. So Father, I thank you in faith that we are all equipped for the roles and the tasks that you've called us to in life. Even when we feel overwhelmed. Lord, we know that in those moments of feeling overwhelmed in parenting, it's not so that you can lead us into a season of failure. 
It's so that we would lean into you, so that we would depend on you more, so that we can experience you doing something amazing in us and through us, so that we would love and trust you more. And so, Father, for anyone wrestling with a difficult parenting situation right now, regardless of the age of the child, Father, we just pray that you would stir faith, that you would stir hope, and that, Lord, there would be freedom from any sense of condemnation because every failure is taken care of by you on the cross. Lord, we bless every family in here. We bless every mom, every dad, every son, every daughter, every grandfather, every grandmother, every great-grandfather and great-grandmother. We believe that family is a gift from you, and it is a good thing. And so, Lord, we thank you that we have good things to look forward to in our families. We believe that, Jesus. Would you just allow the Lord to speak and minister to you? If he puts someone on your heart to pray for, whether it's one of your children, whether it's another parent, whoever it is, would you just follow that leading of the Holy Spirit and begin to intercede for that person? If you have a burden yourself in parenting or for one of your kids, would you just share that with the Lord? Begin to pour out your heart to him and allow him to minister to you. Just allow him to to hear from you what's on your heart. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.